All rise. In the case 23-2832, Legacy Cares. Here's the Legacy Cares case. Let's start online first. Let me get up here. Okay, so Zach Farley, I see you on, on screen. Would you make your appearance, please? Zach Farley, Say it again. We had a hard time understanding that. Zach Farley on behalf of UMB. All right. Thank you, Mr. Farley. Anybody else on the phone or on screen that would like to make an appearance? Then let's go to the courtroom, please. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Hank Taylor on behalf of the debtor with me today at council table is Doug Moss, the president of the debtor as well as Keith Berman, our financial advisor, and my co-counsel, Randy Papetti. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Jennifer Giamma on behalf of the U.S. Trustee. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Jordan Krupp, Pachelsea, Stang, Zealand, Jones on behalf of the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Peter Riggs and Jessica Gale from the law firm of Spencer Fain on behalf of UMB Bank. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Phil Giles with Allen Jones and Giles on behalf of Kearney Electric Incorporated. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Bradley Pack appearing on behalf of several mechanics lien claimants, Wholesale Floors, LLC, Elite Sports Builder, LLC, RH Dupper Landscaping, Inc., and JFK Electrical Contracting Enterprises. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Patrick Dirksen for Jayco Design and Installations, LLC. Thank you. Lamar Hawkins, Counsel for Spray Foam Southwest Image Building Systems, DH Pace Company, all mechanics name holders. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Catherine Anderson on behalf of OVG. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Alan Maida with Birch and Cracciolo on behalf of Pacific Proving, LLC, the landlord under the ground lease. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Brad Cosman on behalf of Insight Investments. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Warren Stapleton appearing on behalf of the Salt River Pima Gaming Enterprise, DBA, Casino, Arizona. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Jim Neller uh, representing Salt River Project. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. James Ugaldi on behalf of Eastern Funding. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Robert Warnicke on behalf of Hayden Companies. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Chad Sheck-Snyder for Oakland Construction. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Chase Halsey for Spectrum Mechanical. Thank you. All right. Uh, Mr. Taylor, you want to lead off here, please? It occurs to me that uh, maybe we ought to first identify what order we go in. Uh, for example, it seems like there may not be controversy on the utilities motion, for example. Um, maybe, maybe not with respect to MCA, uh, maybe not with the cash management system. It seems like the, the main attraction here today is the, uh, the debtor possession financing. Do I have that right? That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. So shall we maybe let those who are interested in those first few items, uh, get on their way if, uh, if they wish to? If there is anybody here that's only interested in those, sure. Um, yeah, Your Honor, we have, uh, Four matters, well, five, including the status conference, if you will. 
uh, on the calendar today. One is the request for entry of a final order on our utilities motion. Uh, the second is a request for final order on our cash management motion. Um, and then the third is the application to employ MCA as our financial advisor. And then the fourth is the dip motion. Um, so let's do this then. Let's start with your status so that everybody can understand uh, what's going on if they haven't read your status report. Uh, some of us have been here already and have an idea of what this debtor's about, but uh, others may not. So why don't we do that and then turn, if it's okay with you, to the utilities motion? Sure. Uh, as you noted, Your Honor, we did file a status report. I think it's pretty well set forth also in our omnibus objection we filed on the first day. But the debtor operates what used to be known as Bell Bank Park. It's called Legacy Park. It's a large sports complex down in South Mesa. Can everybody hear Mr. Taylor? Okay. Okay, I'll try to get better here, sorry. Um, and uh, the park was built, uh, Your Honor, through uh, the issuance of Arizona Industrial Development Authority bonds back in 2019, excuse me, in 2020 and 2021. There were two issuances. Um, there was a total of approximately $280 million raised through those bond issuances that went into the construction of the project. Um, the project is large. It has um, a number of outdoor sports fields, baseball fields, soccer fields, a soccer stadium. It has indoor facilities, including basketball courts, volleyball courts. Uh, there's pickleball courts. Um, there's a fitness center. There's a, uh, I believe, a rehab center. Uh, there's also um, a restaurant and bar, and there's beverage and food sales throughout the park. Um, so it's, it's a large complex, Your Honor. Uh, it broke ground um, in 2020. Uh, it opened, I believe, in full force in March of 2022, I believe. Right? May of 2022. May 2022, a little later than that. So it's been open for about a year um, on, in, in full. Um, unfortunately, Your Honor, the park has never operated in the black. Uh, and as I indicated to you last time we were before the court, uh, the park loses on average about a million dollars a month. So that is before debt service. That's on an operational basis. So it is impossible, Your Honor, for the, court, the, the park to remain open just using revenues, cash collateral, if you will. We need to obtain uh, borrowing in order to just keep the park open. And that's, that's really the focus of our uh, dip motion uh, that you heard initially back on May 4th and that we're here again on today. Um, I don't know if you need any more of a status report than that, but that's where we are in, in short. Uh, we have continued to remain open since we were last before you and operating in the ordinary course. Uh, people are attending the park. Events are being held at the park. The park is booking events, uh, has events booked throughout the summer, as a matter of fact. Um, as we indicated, the game plan or the strategy going forward in this case is to sell the park. Uh, and that process has been underway since mid-March before we filed the petition. Uh, at that time, we engaged Noah Buckfire as an investment banker uh, to run that sales process, and they've been doing that since they were engaged. Uh, at the moment, we are deep into the process of uh, providing due diligence to potential interested parties. We have set up a virtual data room. A number of interested parties have executed NDAs in order to uh, take a look at that material. Uh, we have already conducted a number of 
in-person tours of the park for interested parties. Uh, I expect, at least I believe that the, uh, the, the plan is still to have identified a, a stocking horse bidder sometime in mid-June, perhaps a little later in June. And we would anticipate that once that is done, we will be filing with the court a, uh, a sale motion, bidding procedures motion, that will be built around that stocking horse bidder. So uh, the game plan from day one has always been to sell the park, and that remains the case. That's what I have for status, Your Honor. So we had a hearing earlier this morning <clears throat> talking about the employment for Miller Buckfire, and a couple questions came up, and I thought uh, for the benefit of those uh, now here, we ought to talk a little bit about that. Uh, one of the issues was, uh, is there any crossover between Miller Buckfire and anybody else that's getting employed as a professional in this case? And why don't you tell everybody what the response was to that question? Uh, Your Honor, there, there is absolutely none. Um, Miller Buckfire is being employed solely to run the sale process, and that's what they've been doing. They've been creating the data room, vetting due diligence, vetting potential interested parties, entering into NDAs with those parties, uh, assisting those parties in uh, due diligence and in formulating perhaps letters of interest in regarding to the park. They have been solely focused on the sale process. They are not doing anything that we would consider to be traditional financial advisor work, such as doing data analysis, income analysis, revenue and budgeting, um, that, type of, that type of work in relation to the debtor. That is the province of MCA Financial, whose application is before the court today. They are solely focused on that. I mean, obviously, MCA Financial and Miller Buckfire work with each other because the sale process, as a matter of course, involves financial issues with the park and financial performance. So, and obtaining due diligence for people that are looking uh, at the park through Miller Buckfire obviously involves getting the the financial advisor involved for that. But the financial advisor, other than assisting Miller Buckfire in their job in, in marketing the park, they're not, they're not involved in that sale process. So Miller Buckfire is going to receive $75,000 a month. They're also going to receive 1.5% of uh, the first $185 million on a sale. Uh, and you made it pretty clear that it's a sale. It's not a refi. It's not anything else. We're doing a sale. It's for cash. It's not for other consideration. Does that hold true? Did I accurately describe that? I, Your, Your Honor, we, we have not yet received, I believe, you know, all the letters of interest we might have on this property. So I can't say right now what everybody's proposed structure is. I mean, you understand that the, you know, potential buyer could come in and say, we're going to make this offer in this form of structure. You know, our, our understanding is that, you know, we would expect people to be making cash offers. Um, That's what the debtor wants. So what the buyers or prospective buyers come to the table with, you can't control. But the debtor's looking for cash buyers. We're looking for cash buyers, but obviously if there's a proposal that's not in the form of a pure cash offer that is the best, thing, the best interest of the estate and creditors, we're going to look at that hard and obviously talk to people in the case about that. For the U.S. Trustee's pers uh, purposes, uh, there was some concern about whether uh, this was really a fee arrangement that was just, it wasn't an hourly by any means. It wasn't a, uh, anything that the court would even pass judgment on. But rather, right now, it's 75000 a month. It's 1.5 of the first $185 million, and it's 3% over $185 million, And that's that. And the, the fee structure would not be, at least in the debtor's view, uh, 
reviewed again down the road, right? That's correct, Your Honor. That's why we sought employment under 328A and noticed it out and set it for a hearing as such. And you gave me the impression that uh, the committee has, uh, had had some discussion with you about that. And have you confirmed with Mr. Krupp or the committee they're still good with uh, Miller Bulkfire's arrangement? As I indicated to the court this morning, I had a very brief conversation with Mr. Krupp, and he indicated that he was not concerned about that motion. I'll let Mr. Krupp speak for himself, obviously. But I will tell you that after that very brief conversation with Mr. Krupp, I, I didn't hear anything from him concerning this application. Um, so, but it obviously I'll let him speak for So one of the things I asked Mr. Farley about is uh, uh, whether the $185 million breakpoint in the, the fee for Miller Buckfire was in some way tied to what UMB intended to do uh, or perhaps was uh, committed to do regarding a credit bid because among other things, the fee is generated on credit bids as well. Uh, maybe Mr. Farley, you can answer this question having been uh, uh, give it a few hours to mull on that, or perhaps it's uh, Mr. Riggs who wants to come to the podium to talk about that. Mr. Riggs, looks like you're getting ready to do that. Thank you, Judge. I'm, I'm happy to address that. I uh, did speak with our client um, earlier today on, on your question. Thank you for raising that. Um, I'm informed that the $185 million figure was derived from conversations um, between the bank and the debtor and the various investment banker candidates that were under consideration. And that was simply a threshold uh, under which they felt that uh, above that line uh, that the investment banker uh, merited additional compensation, but that it was not derived um, uh, from any kind of credit bid strategy that the bank has uh, uh, been contemplating. So I'm not surprised to hear you say you haven't committed to any uh, particular credit bid number, um, but uh, you now have answered my question. That is essentially what is UMB viewing this $185 million number at? And what I'm hearing you say is uh, really they're going to really start earning their pay after 185. Um, that's not to say they won't under 185, but it's uh, uh, they're really moving the dial once you get above 185. Fair to say? Correct. I, th I think that the, the investment banker, uh, uh, if, if they're able to get a, a purchase price above that figure, that that's the bank was comfortable agreeing to signing off on additional compensation for them. Okay. You've answered my question. Does anybody want to speak to this particular point before we move on to uh, uh, to talk about the utilities motion? Brown and Jordan Krupp for the committee. Um, uh, Mr. Taylor was correct. Uh, we did have a brief discussion. I indicated to Mr. Taylor, that we had taken a thorough look, uh, the committee had taken a thorough look at the Miller Buck Fire engagement and the terms of it. Um, we have no concerns. It is why we did not file any objection, and it is why, uh, and not a disrespect to you, Your Honor, that uh, we didn't show up at the 10 a.m. hearing this morning. Well, I just want to make sure I mean, you're brand new into this case, uh, uh, newer than most, uh, but I'm glad to hear you say you've looked at it and the committee is okay with the arrangement. We are, and okay. thank you for referring to me as new. I always like that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, then, unless somebody else wants to speak to the Miller Buckfire issue, I'm ready to move to the utilities motion. Okay, Mr. Taylor. Thank you, Your Honor. So, on the utilities motion, um, after the hearing that we held on May 4th, court entered that interim order, we um, 
We served that order as well as a notice of final hearing on the utilities as well as other parties of interest in this case. Uh, as the docket reflects, there is no formal objection to the motion. The only utility that engaged with us on an informal basis was SRP. Their counsel is here today. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been able to work out with SRP some specific language concerning adequate assurance for them. Uh, and uh, principally, the issue, Your Honor, is that uh, at the time of the bankruptcy filing, SRP was holding a deposit of approximately $426,000. Uh, that had been paid pre-petition. Um, and the accounts that were the pre-petition accounts were in the name of the park manager, uh, Elite Sports, or the former manager, uh, Legacy Sports. Um, and given the uh, filing of the bankruptcy, we felt it was better to have those accounts in the actual name of the debtor, Legacy Cares. Uh, so there was a... Pre-petition amount over, there's actually, I think, about 10 accounts with SRP that cover utility service to various parts of the park. Um, and across those 10 accounts, there was approximately $75,000 of um, uh, uh, arrearages as of the petition date, amounts that remain due. Uh, so what we have done with SRP, Your Honors, we have agreed uh, to allow under 366D uh, SRP to set off those pre-petition amounts against the deposit that it's holding. Uh, it's going to retitle the accounts in the name of Legacy Cares, the debtor, and it will continue to hold the net amount of that deposit as security for the, um, the, uh, uh, the bills going forward. So um, that language, Your Honor, is what we inserted in the final order um, Let's see if I can find that language. That, that language, Your Honor, is what we inserted in um, paragraph four of the final order, and, and it's pretty much tracks what I just said. Um, they, of course, will also be further adequately assured under the deposit mechanism that we are providing to all utility providers in this in this case. Uh, SRP didn't have any concerns uh, about the proposed uh, um, mechanism for determining adequate assurance. And like I said, no other uh, utility provider has contacted us in regards to this. So uh, I believe that the uh, provisions regarding SRP are, are proper and provide them with adequate assurance. And I believe that the provisions in the order concerning the other utilities and SRP regarding the adequate assurance account and deposit um, are proper and reasonable, and we request the court enter the final order as we have uploaded a form of that order that has been reviewed by SRP's counsel and approved. Okay, let me hear from Mr. Neller before we go down that road. SRP does approve the proposed order. Okay, and you only represent SRP. Sometimes only you represent SRP. other utilities. That's correct. Okay, so the formal order lodged with the court is something, at least according to you, we can sign off on. What? I'm sorry? At least according to SRP, you're okay with me signing off on this order lodged with the right. court. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. Does the committee wish to speak to this one, Mr. Krupp? No, thank you, Your Honor. 
Anybody else want to speak to the utilities motion? Okay, I'll sign off on the form of order. I think it's already been lodged with me, correct, Mr. Taylor? That's correct, Your Honor. Okay, thanks. I'll sign it when we're done with this hearing. Let's go then to the cash management motion. Your Honor, the, uh, the court entered an interim order on cash management that had been fairly carefully vetted by the U.S. Trustee's Office before and after our hearing on May 4th. And uh, after that, we, we noticed out the interim order as well as the um, final hearing date of today. Uh, we did not receive, no objections were filed to entry of a final order on cash management. Uh, we didn't receive any informal objections either. Uh, Ms. Giamo, the U.S. Trustee's Office, uh, requested uh, the addition of some language just clarifying that UMB Bank, which is the depository bank, is a depository bank under the U.S. Trustee program. So uh, we accommodated that, and that's why we filed or uploaded an amended order later yesterday afternoon. So that order has been signed off on this by Ms. Giamo. And again, there's no, been no objections uh, that we're aware of to entry of a final order on that. Okay, thank you. Ms. Giamo, would you like to come and speak to this one? Just briefly, Your Honor. Um, so we did work with Mr. Taylor to get that language ironed out. And um, for right now, he's addressed all of our concerns. It seems that the accounts are properly collateralized and are being treated as regular debtor and possession accounts. Um, I did want, for the record, for it to be made clear, we had some uh, confusion on our part as to whether or not all of the revenues going uh, that were being generated by the debtor were going directly into the debtor in a possession account. Mr. Taylor confirmed that they are um, because there was some concern that revenues were being diverted to non-debtor bank accounts. like Pass, Passing through a manager's account first. Exactly, but okay. I believe that I, we've confirmed that all of the revenues are in fact going into the debtor in possession account. Directly or through that manager? I believe directly. I'll have Mr. Taylor address that. Directly, Your Honor. Okay. Um, and, and that was a concern because uh, Legacy Sports, who, as Your Honor may be aware, the prior manager, there's some allegations of fraud committed by Legacy Sports, and they were, Legacy Sports was on the accounts, certain accounts, pre-petition, but apparently... I have confirmed that uh, Legacy Sports is not touching any of the revenues. So, okay. I mean, and of course, the U.S. trustee is going to continue monitoring um, the banking activities when the debtor files its mo monthly operating report. So right now we're on the same page. It looks good. Um, but if we have any issues with respect to any of the monthly operating reports, we will bring them to your honor's attention. So on Tuesday, I was in D.C., and your boss, ultimate boss, Tara Toomey, was given a report to a handful of judges, uh, particularly about bank failures and the securitization uh, that uh, DIP accounts need to have. Um, and uh, it sounds to me as if the way things are situated right now with the UMB accounts, you believe that it's fully securitized the way the UST uh, requires. Yes. Yes, Your Honor. The, the UMB is following the protocols of the agreement, the depository agreement it has with the United States Trustee's Office, and that agreement has in place um, all of the necessary um, elements that are required to maintain proper collateralization of the accounts. 
Okay. So, but that is definitely a big issue right now. I hadn't even considered that until uh, I heard her speak on this topic, but it's it's interesting, and I'm glad to hear you're okay with it here. Yes. Okay. Thank right. you. Thank you, Mr. Krupp. Anything in the committee would like to say on this one? No, thank you, Your Honor. Anybody else like to speak to the cash management motion? All right. That sounds like the formal order has been lodged with me, signed off by the U.S. Trustee's Office. I'll sign that when we're done with today's hearings. Mr. Taylor, let's turn now to the MCA employment application. Your Honor, we filed an application to employ MCA Financial as our firm financial advisor at Docket 37. Uh, we had initially uploaded an order on that um, uh, assuming the court would just enter that as a matter of course. Of course, at the hearing on May 4th, you raised some concerns about uh, the inclusion of indemnity language in there. So we went ahead, as you, as you stated, and we noticed this out as a hearing on their fee application. Excuse me, not fee application, their employment application. Um, we did not receive any formal objections to the application to employ MCA. Uh, Mr. Krupp, on behalf of the committee, raised uh, a concern with uh, the debtor and MCA uh, concerning a specific provision in the engagement letter that uh, appears to a cap any sort of damages award that might be entered against MCA if there's some claim brought against MCA. Uh, MCA and the debtor agreed that that could be deleted from the engagement letter. Uh, we've included language in the order that specific final order that specifically um, deletes that language. Uh, so um, I believe we have addressed Mr. Krupp's concern and we have not heard from anybody else in regards to this employment application. The indemnity language that we talked about last time stays as is? Yes. Okay. <coughs> okay. I'm going to turn to Mr. Krupp again on this one. Rodner again, Jordan Krupp for the committee. Uh, appreciate, I, I was listening in um, to the first day hearing on May 4th and appreciated the courts raising the concern about the indemnification. Uh, the committee considered it um, and uh, made the decision to leave it as is. We believe that uh, it accurately reflects the sort of the state of the art um, as to the way that financial advisors uh, set out the terms of their engagement in cases of this nature and of this size at least. Uh, we did, as Mr. Taylor said, have a concern about one sentence in the engagement letter that purported to cap uh, liability uh, in the event of a finding of liability. Um, and uh, it was a very easy and uh, quick conversation with Mr. Bierman on behalf of MCA Financial and Mr. Taylor on behalf of the debtor to excise that, and uh, I have already reviewed the terms of the proposed order uh, for today, and I'm satisfied with it. So the committee is uh, committee's fine. Okay, good. Thank, Thank you. you. Would anybody else like to speak to the MCA employment application? Mr. Taylor, has that order now been lodged? We did lodge the order in advance of the hearing yesterday. Uh, I would ask that the court hold off on that because Ms. Giamo raised some concern about, along with the um, 
the order for Miller Buckfire, including language effective as of the petition date. So we're deleting that from that order. So after the hearing today, we'll re-upload an order that takes that language out. Okay, very good. Ms. Jalma, you're okay with that? Yes, Your Honor. All right, I'll sign that uh, revised order when it comes in then. So with that, Mr. Taylor, let's turn to what appears to be the, the big issue today. Thank you, Your Honor. Regarding the um, debtor's motion to authorize post-petition borrowing and use of cash collateral, uh, as the court knows, uh, back on, Mar on May, May 4th, the court entered an interim order authorizing us to borrow $1.6 million on an interim basis and set today for a final hearing. Uh, after entry of that order, we noticed out the final hearing on this. Uh, we received, um, there were a number of, of formal objections that were filed of record that I believe the court is probably aware of. Uh, and what we have done is uh, the committee um, through Mr. Krupp has requested some additional time to review uh, the motion uh, and the ask here, so to speak, uh, and has requested a two-week continuance of a final hearing for entry of that order. Uh, and we have agreed to that uh, and agreed to an extension of time for the committee to make any objections. The idea being, of course, that we would prefer Mr. Krupp and the committee to make reasoned and informal objections that hopefully we can resolve uh, without formal hearing. And so that's fundamentally uh, the basics of today is that we're asking the court to set a continued final hearing on that. Um, How much time do you think you're going to need? Because Ms. Bryant is going to start looking for a date about two weeks down the road. I, you know, my view of the world is if it's if it's the dip motion, then it, probably an hour is fine. Okay. Uh, some other people might disagree with that. Um, going through some of the objections, Your Honor, uh, I think most of them, our objections that, well, one has been, I believe, resolved, but the others are in the form of objections that could be resolved, except for one, the uh, wholesale floors objection, which I'll get to later, are, are objections that really go to uh, the desire by certain mechanics lien holders to include some language in the final order, making it clear that the entry of the dip order is not going to be prejudicing their rights in making claims specifically against the landlord uh, on their mechanics lien claims. Um, I think we'll be able to, I've spoken to uh, counsel for those objectors, I think we're gonna be able to work out language that gives them the protection they would like as well as not include overly burden the final order with uh, uh, language that really isn't necessary. So we'll, we'll, we'll thread that needle, I'm sure. Um, I believe all those parties are here today uh, as well um, and can obviously talk to their objections. The one objection that is uh, really something I believe, Your Honor, that is not going to be able to be put off to a final hearing uh, whenever that may be is the objection of wholesale floors. Uh, I'd indicated to you earlier this morning this was going to be an issue. Um, wholesale floors has... Um, basically made two objections, Your Honor. First of all, they object that there's no proof that there's a necessary need, there's a need to keep the park open. So basically, why should we be borrowing to keep the park open when it very well could be better for everybody if it just goes dark? That's what I believe is objection number one. Objection number two goes to the issue of lien priority. Uh, basically, the wholesale floors 
I guess, believes it has an ability at this point in the game to uh, leapfrog the bank on its priority uh, under the leasehold deed of trust. Uh, the bank, Your Honor, has a leasehold deed of trust uh, that it recorded on August 20th of 2020. Uh, I believe that's when the bond financing closed. Uh, and that encumbers leasehold interest under the ground lease as well as the structures and improvements on the on the on the park property. Uh, I believe it is Mr. Uh, Pack's belief that his client has the ability, or I guess mechanics and creditors generally, to leapfrog that. Uh, and he has requested that the court allow for there to be, I guess, a very truncated, rapid discovery in advance of a final hearing. And I guess is asking the court to conduct some sort of an evidentiary hearing perhaps on lien priority and, and I, I guess also the, the need to keep the park open. Um, certainly Mr. Pack will present his, his objections more fulsomely than I just did. Uh, the bottom line, Your Honor, is that we object to that process altogether. Um, I did discuss, have a conversation with Mr. Pack. We were not able to resolve our differences on this. Um, it's the debtor's position, Your Honor, that there is no need at this point in time to be conducting litigation, discovery and litigation on lien priority. Uh, and that's the case for several reasons. Uh, one, the DIP financial, the DIP credit agreement contemplates, and in fact this is also even recited in this court's interim order, that creditors will have a challenge period after entry of the final order to challenge the validity, priority, and extent of UMB's pre-petition liens. Uh, so that ability of creditors, including wholesale floors, to make that objection and litigate that objection in a proper way is left open. No one's foreclosing their rights there. Uh, so that's... Remind that, us of that challenge period, how long? I believe it is 60 days or 75 days. I think that's right. But it's, it's, it's there. They can file a challenge. Obviously, they have plenty of time to file a challenge. A challenge that, candidly, Your Honor, would probably have to come in the form of an adversary proceeding. So um, that's the kind of challenge that probably have to be made. So there's that, that challenge period is there. And that challenge period is there, Your Honor, for the very reason that we don't want to hold up entry of a dip order litigating those types of pre-petition lien priority issues. Um, the second point I would say, Your Honor, is that uh, if you, the, the issue of lien priority is already joined. That's what has been at issue, uh, was joined at issue in the mechanics lien litigation that was, been, was pending in state court. Now on Tuesday, we removed those claims to this court. So those claims against uh, the debtor and the landlord, the bank, those are now before you. So there is already an adversary proceeding uh, in existence that would allow for this issue to be fulsomely litigated according to the rules of procedure, which is what is, should be done here. So again, there's bottom line is there's nothing preventing wholesale floors or any other mechanics lien creditor from challenging the priority of the bank's liens. Um, and I have, to, I have to really question the wisdom and, and have grave concerns about trying to conduct discovery, including what, what Wholesale Floors has indicated this morning, they want to serve subpoenas on third parties, discovery in a truncated fashion on an issue 
and then hold, a, I guess, a, a mini-trial on an issue that involves tens of millions of dollars of value in this case. Uh, that seems to me to be something that is properly left to uh, an adversary proceeding uh, that, is, uh, that is subject to the rules of, of procedure, uh, particularly when it comes to serving subpoenas on third parties and asking them to respond to those in a week. Um, I just do not believe that's a proper process. Finally, Your Honor, I, I think if you think through what, what the mechanics lien holders, such as wholesome, wholesale floors, might get out of this, I don't see where it benefits them at this point. I mean, let's, let's take for an example, let's just assume that they ultimately win the challenge and they're able to leapfrog the bank. Well, then that's great for them because then they will get first dibs on the sale proceeds after payment of the dip loan. And they should be actually quite thankful that the bond trustee is willing to put $9 million into this case to keep the park open and maximize the sale value of this property. So it seems to me if they have a challenge and they're successful in it, they're going to win the big prize at the end of the day. Right? And if they lose that challenge, then they're clearly, unquestionably, behind $250 million in bond debt. And there's nobody standing in this, in this courtroom, I think, that could credibly say this property is worth $250 million. Um, I, again, that, that to me is, that to me is um, just evident. And I don't know why, I, it's not really suggested in the motion, Your Honor, but I, I don't know why we would expend any time, and certainly time spent you know, trying to do this in a two or three week period, trying to value collateral like this. Uh, we've got the market that's going to value it very shortly. And then on the issue, Your Honor, as to whether it's a good idea to keep the park open, I, I can say this. Um, both the bond trustee and the debtor engaged financial advisors some time ago. And uh, one of the critical issues that they looked at very hard was how to maximize the value of the park's value while limiting the significant monthly burn uh, that was going through the park operations. The option of closing the park down, mothballing it, trying to mark it as a dark park, that was carefully considered by both the bank and the debtor. And it was the conclusion of both parties that that didn't make sense. And, and notwithstanding the fact that it's a, it's, it's a heavy burn right now, Everybody agreed it was worthwhile to keep the park open to maximize the value for sale purposes. And I don't see at this point how wholesale floors or anyone else is going to be able to contest that. I mean, I guess if necessary, I could put Mr. Moss and Mr. Berman on the stand and they'll testify to that. Um, I think it's already, there's already some proof of that in the declarations that have been filed that, of the need to keep the park open. So in short, Your Honor, we, we strenuously object to the process that's being proposed by wholesale floors here. Um, we don't see the need for it. We don't see, we see a lot of problems with what they're proposing, uh, both procedurally and perhaps um, in regards to greater issues, down, greater issues down later in the case. I mean, for example, how does a court ruling on priority after three weeks of discovery here impact the mechanics lien litigation, the parties that aren't participating in this particular motion. It seems to me that this whole process is, is fraught with problems. So that's my preview of their, of their objection, and, and we certainly object to what they're proposing here, Your Honor. Let me ask you what you think are the 
well, is the top dollar amount of the aggregate of material men's claims? I believe, Your Honor, that the face amount of the mechanics lien claims, you know, the face amount of their claims, all added up together is about $39 million, I believe, somewhere in there. Um, I'm not getting any good disagreement from my team on that one. Um, we believe that there's a decent amount of duplication in, those, in that number because the number of mechanics lien creditors are claiming in their Auckland, which is the general, and so Auckland's claim probably includes duplicate numbers of theirs. I think at the end of the day, and I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to point the court to anything, but it's my belief that at the end of the day, the aggregate amount of mechanics liens is going to be somewhere between 20 and $25 million. That's, that's where we think it's going to end up. So if I understand your argument correctly, just do the math of this thing, top value might be $250 million for the entire property. Probably not that big. But if UMB is in first position, their claim is at least $250 million, and all the material men, no matter how many we've got that are valid, are out of the money. Okay. On the other hand, if all of the material, well, if any of the material men uh, jump ahead of UMB, maybe they all do, and that's about a $40 million number. But if the value of the property is 250 and the first position is all these material men at 40, they have a massive equity uh, cushion. Is that essentially the argument? <laughs> uh, Your Honor, I do not want to say that this, this property is worth $250 million. I, I, I'm, I, that's not my province. Uh, you know, I think but that, it sounds like you would say it's probably worth at least $185 million because that was our Miller-Buckfire break point. You know, Your Honor, I, I, I know that number is in that letter. And it jumped out to me when I saw it, too. And I'm not sure where that comes from. Uh, I can tell you that I have not heard from anybody involved in this case any real, really any real desire to guess at what this property is worth because it is such a unique property. Um, you know, that's why we have a sale process going on is that we're, we're going to have the market figure that out soon enough. Um, and, but I'm... I, I'm pretty confident that I could proffer, you know, Mr. Moss, who's president of the debtor, he probably would testify that it's not worth $150 million um, and above that. Uh, Obviously, know. what I'm trying to discern is if the material men really are in first position and their total claims are $40 million, what's the equity cushion? And I'm hearing you say maybe not 150 how about 100 I'm not going to give you that, Your Honor. Uh, I don't know what it is. I can tell you this. If they're in first position, um, they're going to get paid a lot more through a sale. than They're going to uh, get paid a lot more or they're going to get paid entirely? Because yeah, yeah. I'm focused on aggregate. You're, guessing, you're aggregate asking production. me to speculate, Your Honor. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speculate what this, what this is going to bring. If they're in first position, then after payment of the dip loan, they're going to get a very – I'm pretty confident we'll get a very – fulsome return on a $40 million if that's the total of it. And if it's 20 to $25 million, my bet is that they would get paid in full. That's just my guess as an uninformed lawyer in the case. Um, but to me, it seems that it is clearly in their interest to keep the property open in order to maximize the going concern value for a sale, because ultimately, that's what's going to bring money in the door. Uh, for them, if they're in first position, uh, that's what they should be wanting at this point. 
it seems to me the two main issues are, should it be mothballed in the interim or should it stay open and what's that going to do to value? And then secondly, depending on how the lien litigation goes, uh, it seems like everybody might agree that if UMB wins that litigation, then the material men are out of the money. But if the material men win the litigation, I'm really focused on what is the adequate protection that they are going to have such that we can go ahead and approve this uh, dip financing without particular prejudice or lack of adequate protection to that material men crowd. Yeah, correct. Uh, I, I would also say, Your Honor, though, that you know, really, when we talk about adequate protection, I think you have to first show that you have an economic interest that requires protection. You know, on the face of it, these guys are behind $250 million in bond debt, without a question, based on the face of it. Now, they believe they have an argument, or perhaps they can discover something that, that says otherwise. Well, the one thing you don't want me to do is determine the lien priority today. I mean, you've essentially told me that, right? That's correct. I don't want the court to be determining the lien priority in the context of a dip motion at all, and I don't think that's proper under the circumstances of this case, because the adequate protection for them, Your Honor, and it goes back to the first issue, is what maximizes sale value. Keeping the park open maximizes sale value. There's not going to be anything that contradicts that first issue. They don't have anything that's going to contradict that. Um, so for us, the adequate protection for the mechanics lien holders right now, keep the park open, maximize the sale value. And if you win, congratulations. You're going to get a much better payout in this case than you probably otherwise would have. Okay. Anything further? No, Your Honor. Why don't we start with the U.S. Trustee's Office, Ms. Giamo? Um, so I did understand that this hearing, um, it was going to be requested that we have a continuance in order to allow the committee to file an objection to the DIP motion. Um, we had filed our initial um, objection to the first day motion, and those issues were addressed in the interim order. Of course, we still have an issue with the uh, super priority lien in the interim but I am assuming that the judge, that your honor is going to allow that super priority like you did on the first one. Um, so if that's what it is, that's what it is. Um, but as far as, the, right now I'm seeing a lot of pleadings indicating that the debtor, that the, the dip financing is not allowing the debtor or providing for the debtor to pay ordinary operating expenses post-petition. And that's a concern that I need to delve more into before the next hearing, um, because I think that at minimum, the dip financing should be allowed only to the extent that the post-petition providers of equipment and services are getting paid. So that, that's my biggest concern with that, Judge. Um, so that, that's really all we have for today on the dip loan. Okay. Looks like Mr. Taylor would like to speak to that one. Yeah, Your Honor, I should have probably mentioned this before we sat down. There was one objection filed um, by National Sports Opportunity Partners. That's at docket entry 120. Uh, they claim to have um, leases of uh, equipment that's used at the park. There's five total leases. Uh, one of them is uh, a lease of golf carts. That are used at the park, and then the other three 
excuse me, the other four deal with shade structures at the park, various types of shade structures. Uh, we have had some um, informal, uh, we've had, we've talked with, with NSOP and its council and we've worked out an agreement that they're gonna get paid $21,000 a month. Uh, that's already part of the budget that, that is paid by Elite Sports. So um, they've agreed that that's sufficient for now. So we believe that objection's been resolved. Otherwise, I'm not aware of anybody else making objections about um, uh, operating expenses not being paid on an ordinary course. Okay. We'll turn to NSOP and see if uh, they agree that we're okay there. Or did NSOP not appear here today? I, I believe Mr. Edstrom, who's out of state council, may be appearing on the phone, but I'm not certain about that. Mr. Enstrom, are you on the phone? Okay. So, Ms. Giambo, if NSOP is going to get 21000 a month going forward out of the budget and uh, they can live with that, does that argument go away or are there others out there? There might be that? others out there. So, if we're postponing um, a final hearing on this, I would just ask that we raise this issue at the final hearing. Okay. And I'll double check and make sure that there's not other objections or um parties that aren't getting paid that didn't file objections for lack of counsel or for whatever reason. But I want to make sure that post-petition, the budgets, that in the budget, um, post-petition services are being paid for and equipment is being paid for. Okay. Okay. Good. And you're okay with the two-week continuance? Though. I'm fine with that. All right. Good. Thank you. Then let me hear from the committee. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, both Mr. Taylor and Ms. Giamo characterized what the committee would do with the two-week continuance, and I think I, with respect to Ms. Giamo, I, I prefer Mr. Taylor's characterization of it, which is um, that the committee does hope to use the next uh, period during this continuance to identify the issues that most trouble the committee and uh, discuss them with the parties in interest here and try to work it out so that when the court conducts a final uh, hearing on debtor and possession financing, you will hear very little from me, if any. Uh, that That is our intention. Uh, it is not our intention to turn the heat up in this case, at least not with respect to financing. So um, with that in mind, that that's mostly what I think is important for the court to hear from the committee today. Um, in terms of the proposed second interim order, I have had an opportunity to look at it. Uh, it accurately reflects the continuance that we've discussed um, and from the committee standpoint, any of the changes in the language which are extraordinarily minor uh, and really only substantively address uh, some additional borrowing that's permitted under the debtor and possession financing, the committee is fully satisfied that the, that the uh, order does no harm to anyone. So with the two, two issues that Mr. Taylor says really need to be addressed today, uh, the first one being that uh, the question of whether this money is even needed. Should we just mothball the property? Um, uh, the committee, I assume, is on board with the debtor's view that we absolutely need to stay open and we absolutely need this money to stay open. Your Honor, respectfully, I don't think that I would go that far. I think that um, I'm prepared to say that the committee does not take a position with respect to what would be or would not be the best in the best interest of the sale process here. Um, so we're not in a position in to challenge early, that view. Too or, early? Sorry? Too early in the proceedings, is that what you're telling me? Yes. And two weeks will help clarify that issue for you? It will indeed, Your Honor. Um, just to give the court a little bit of additional context, um, the 
the committee was able to engage a financial advisor. That financial advisor has um, hit the ground running in a rather remarkable way and has had plenty of very constructive conversations with some of the other advisors in the case and, and has had an opportunity to tour the facility uh, on Tuesday of this week. Um, but the financial advisor for the committee has not raised the issue with, uh, with us or, or with the committee itself about any misgivings concerning, the, uh, concerning Miller Buckfire's general approach and opinion about how best to market this property. Okay. And with respect to the adequate protection issue, that's the second of the two that Mr. Taylor is raising. What's your current view there? Well, you, I, have, I have two. The first is that substantively with respect to this case, uh, the committee does not take a position with respect to the mechanics lien holders and their, their arguments. The second thing I will offer really is only as uh, a means of helping this dialogue, and that is, is that I will note that I believe that it is the law in this circuit that even one penny of an equity cushion constitutes adequate protection. Okay. So you're of the view on both of these issues, I shouldn't do anything, don't disturb uh, where we're at, let's wait for two weeks and see where we're at. Well, yes, and, and at least procedurally, if the court wishes to know what the committee thinks about a truncated piece of litigation in advance of a final debtor in possession financing hearing, um, I find myself in sympathy with Mr. Taylor's position that that would be wasteful and needless at this point. Okay, thank you. All right, let's hear from UMB. Is that you, Mr. Riggs? Uh, thank you, Judge. Peter Riggs again for UMB. Um, briefly, just, just a couple of points in regards to the continuance that's been requested. Um, the, um, by virtue of the continuance, there will be additional borrowing that is necessary because the, uh, the debtor's cash position is such that um, they require an additional $1 million of, of interim borrowing. So I just wanted the court to be one, aware of that. The 1.6 that was approved already, that has been entirely advanced? In order to, to reach the finish line, so to speak, of the final dip hearing, which would be uh, set for approximately two weeks out at the, at the court's um, um, soonest convenience, um, that's, that's the projection in terms of what the debtor will require. So, okay, so I'm, I, I hear your request uh, to, to put another million on the table. My question is, of the 1.6 that was discussed at the last hearing, has that been fully advanced? Uh, I, I don't know that, Judge. Um, Mr. Perhaps the debtor could address that. Borrowed one million dollars out of the one point six that the court authorized, and we would be looking to borrow an additional one point two million dollars next month. Thank you. Uh, and so, by virtue of uh, uh, proposing a, a second interim order, uh, the fundamental changes to that, and, and it's it's circulating now amongst the parties as far as uh, gaining everyone's approval on it. Uh, the fundamental difference there is just to just to raise that borrowing cap. Um, and, and make clear that the basically the status quo continues, um, but the amount of borrowing that is going to be necessary to reach a final hearing on this would, would increase. Um, so is that by way of saying that the borrowing cap instead of 1.6 should be 2.6? Uh, correct, Your Honor, yeah. But a, one's been burned up so far, 1.2 will happen next week. That I figure that to be 2.2, not 2.6. I think the cap on what what is on the table to to get through approximately June fifteenth is is uh, two point six total as a, so as a borrowing cap. Now, as far as what Mr. Taylor's client has actually 
requested by, by way of borrowing. I believe that's what he intended to say there. Is that correct? Yeah. We are going to request 1.2 next week, but we may also need additional amounts on top of that. Like 2.6 is the number. Okay, understood. Um, otherwise, with regard to the, um, the the other issues that were discussed, the, the bank is is uh, joins in the debtor's position with regard to whether um, the the dip financing hearing ought to be an evidentiary determination of lien priority. I would just caution the court that those issues are currently being litigated uh, in the adversary proceeding that was uh, removed to this court uh, this week. Um, to the extent that there's discovery that is needed in, in, in that case, I, I would proffer to the court that that's the appropriate venue for that discovery to occur. Um, the party's challenge rights are preserved in the proposed uh, dip financing uh, uh, proposal. And so no, nobody's going to be any worse off other than um, uh, the, dip, the dip facility will be sort of first in line for repayment um, when, if and when a sale ultimately is consummated. So help me on the other issue then. I, I'm assuming that UMB would say, yes, we absolutely need to stay open. It will hurt value if we mothball between now and the closing of a sale. Uh, and uh, even if it's a million dollar burn while we're waiting for that sale to close, uh, that's the best interest of all creditors in this case, especially UMB. Uh, correct, Judge. And that is, that's the fundamental reason why they're willing to put in an, an additional $9 million is that they believe that the the value of the project is 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 greater um, on, on, an, on an ongoing basis. Okay. Anything else? Uh, nothing. Nothing else for me. Let's have further questions. Okay. Thank you. All right. Let's get to some of the objectors here. Then let me start with um, Mr. Hawkins. Mr. Hawkins, you represent Image Building, Spray Foam, and Pace. Correct. That is correct, Your Honor. <clears throat> and I did speak with counsel uh, a little earlier this week about the hearing being continued for two weeks. We don't oppose the continuation for two weeks. We do have issues as we've raised in our objection, but those can be held off until the continued hearing of the court decides to go that way. Or if you'd like, I can talk about them now. No, I understood your objection, um, and I'm hearing you today to say let's wait two weeks to see where we're at. Maybe we can negotiate at the, out what we're particularly interested in. Um, do you want to weigh in on the two issues that I see as sort of live issues today, though? I have strong feelings in both directions, um, so I'm not sure that I'm helpful on the issue. Well, maybe if you could just simply tell me, can these issues wait until two weeks from now? Uh, I, I think those issues can wait for two weeks. Yes. Okay. Good enough. Anything else? Nope. Thank okay. you. Let me turn to Mr. Giles then. Mr. Giles, uh, you represent Kearney Electric. Yes, Your Honor, and um, I guess just to deal with the preliminary matters, I also spoke with Mr. Taylor earlier this week, and we have no objection to the continuance. Also had an opportunity to review the uh, second interim order on the dip financing motion and cash collateral use. No objection to that as well. Uh, I do think Kearney Electric's concerns can be dealt with at the hearing from two weeks from now, and as to your two questions, I would answer the same way. Um, the only point I do want to bring up is there has been quite a bit of discussion here about uh, whether the mechanic lien holders are out of the money or not. I know there's a whole issue about whether they're first in line, um, but I think there's 
uh, a point that's missing, which is the mechanic lien holder's position, or at least Kearney Electric's position, is that its lien not only goes against the improvements and the interests of this debtor, but the land as well, which is not property of the estate. And so that is something that's going to have to be part of the calculus as we move towards a sale in this case, because um, you know whether they're out of the money also depends on what the collateral is securing the lien. But that's that's an issue for another day. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Let me turn to Mr. Edstrom. I think we already determined he's not on the line. Mr. Edstrom, I'll give you one more try here. Okay, hearing nothing, uh, I understand that uh, NSOP, his client, is going to receive 21000 a month. It's built into the budget, and uh, that's where we'll leave it. Uh, Mr. Dirksen, would you like to speak up? <coughs> Your Honor, we uh, we joined. Um, Remind us who you're representing. Uh, Jayco Design and Installations LLC. Your Honor, uh, we joined in several uh, objections. Uh, we I've also spoken with Mr. Taylor earlier this week. We agree that it makes sense to continue this, and in the interim, we will try and work things out uh, with the interested parties. So I'm hearing you're on the same page as Mr. Hawkins and Mr. Giles. Yes, Your Honor. Okay, thank you. Mr. Pack, I'm holding you for last here. Uh, Ms. Anderson? CBG? OVG. OVG. Yes, Your Honor. We did not file an objection. We have no objection to the continuance. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Schexnader, Oakland, right? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, Your Honor, we also have uh, any, any concerns about a continuance. Um, but listening, it, it does sound like nobody here is telling you that the property is worth more than the mechanics liens. So this notion of the equity cushion sounds a bit ephemeral, um, which may create problems. I don't advocate that we should, should do all of this in the beginning, but um, I'm, I'm you know, not surprised in all candor, but I don't hear anybody telling you that if you loan the nine million in front of the mechanics lien claimants, it it won't prejudice their interest. So maybe somebody's going to say that, but I haven't heard it. I'm not hearing the contrary either, though, right? Well, I haven't heard from Mr. Pack. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. But you're okay with a two-week continuance and not resolving any of these issues until then? Yes, Your Honor. Understood. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Revolvi? James Ugaldi for Eastern Funding. We have no objection to the continuance as well. Okay. Thank you, sir. Mr. Stapleton. Your Honor, we are simply a sponsorship counterparty. We, we mostly pay the debtor. So in our, in our opinion, we have no objection to the two-week continuance. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Maida. You have the landlord, right, Mr. Meta? Yes, Judge, that, that is correct. So I, th I think, um, you know, from our perspective, the issues that have been raised today relative to the scope and priority of the mechanic lien claimants, or those liens, uh, the, that those issues will be resolved in the context of the adversary, at least that's our expectation. I think that highlights why the removal of the underlying litigation is appropriate 
uh, but we have no objection to a two-week extension. So not only is it appropriate, but you're not going to challenge uh, the, the removal such that you're looking for a remand. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, at present, that is not our intention. Okay. All right. Thank you. Mr. Cosman, an insight? Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, we support the motion. Um, I will note we negotiated some language for inclusion in the form of final order um, with respect to our equipment. We lease equipment to uh, the debtor. Um, we have agreed for a period of three months only to a partial payment of administrative rent or what we assert is administrative rent um, with a deferred portion. Um, all rights are reserved after that initial 90 days. Um, we're making no promises as to whether or not we'll accept a partial payment of rent beyond that. So the language- How much is that partial payment? The total amount uh, of monthly rent due under our agreement is uh, approximately 483,000. And we have agreed to accept 250,000 a month for the first three months of the case. Okay, and in the meantime, uh, two weeks, uh, let's come back here and don't resolve anything today. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Warnicke. Hayden, is that right, Mr. Warnicke? That's correct. Hayden Conway. Holder, and uh, we joined uh, whole, whole Wholesale Floors, and as well as Lamar's three clients. And uh, we agree to the two weeks. Without resolving issues today? Without resolving issues today. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, counsel in the back, I'm sorry I, I didn't write your name down legibly. Or your client's name for that matter. No problem. Uh, Chase Halsey, Spectrum Mechanical, also a lien holder. And Spectrum has no objection to Thank you. All right, is there anybody else before I talk to Mr. Pack? Mr. Pack, if you would, please. Thank you, Your Honor. Really ramps up the anxiety when you keep getting ready to go to the podium and you have all these people coming ahead of you. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity. But I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak with you about this. Um, what I'd like to do is, is first address the questions that you had for Mr. Taylor that I think go to the equity cushion, um, then tell you what we're asking, what we would ask the court to do today, um, and then finally address the, the merits of our objection. Um, so first, with respect to the issue of the equity cushion, I think it's important to keep in mind that there's actually three tranches of uh, UMB's lien priority at issue here. The first is with respect to the $9 million that they would be advancing under this dip loan facility, which they're asking, of course, to have priority over everybody else um, who's now in existence as a lien holder. Uh, the second is the first deed of trust that they had recorded with respect to the first $250 million in bond, in bond financing uh, that they paid out. Um, then finally, there's the second position deed of trust uh, that they had recorded for, I believe it was another $30 million in financing. There isn't any question that the mechanics lien holders are entitled to priority over that final deed of trust. Um, work commenced well before that last deed of trust was recorded in, um, 
believe it was sometime in June of 2021. Um, so, that affects the, the math and it affects how much um, money does this property need to be worth uh, really before somebody is prejudiced in this case. Um, and I, I think the fact that uh, Mr. Taylor really couldn't be pinned down to a value or any range of values really highlights what the problem is here, which is nobody knows what this property is worth. It's a very unique piece of property. Um, it's one that certainly um, the debtors have had an opportunity to, um, to attempt to, to value. Um, they weren't able to. It's got to be um, an extraordinarily difficult task to value a property of this scope and this magnitude. Um, and eventually it is something that the market will decide. But in the meantime, um, what the debtor is asking you to, to do today is really to grant some pretty extraordinary relief, which is to say that in the event um, that the mechanics lien holders do have some equity in this property, that they are not completely out of the money, that this $9 million loan, which we know the debtor is going to burn through um, so that it, the repayment is going to have to come out of the property itself, um, that the money that they advance under that loan is going to take priority over the mechanics lien holders um, and bump them up. Um, and priming liens, I think, are supposed to be extraordinary relief under the bankruptcy code. They should not be granted um, as a matter of course. And almost every case that I looked at that dealt with priming liens has denied uh, a, a dip motion to allow a priming lien because the, the adequate protection that the existing lien holders uh, need to receive in order for the court to approve something like that, it, it really is determined under the indubitable equivalence standard, uh, which is not an easy standard to, to meet. Um, so let me talk uh, first about what we're asking the court uh, to do uh, today. Um, I, I think it would be a mischaracterization to say that um, I'm asserting that wholesale floors or any of the mechanics lien holders are first in priority over uh, UMB or anybody else. Uh, what I'm saying is that the, dip, that, that the dip financing motion is premised on um, a lot of things uh, that are presented as fact, but really at this point are no more than assumptions, um, including the assumption that the property is going to be worth somewhere between 100 to $200 million, um, and the assumption that UMB does have a first priority lien on this property. Um, all we're asking is to be given some measure of due process to be able to develop discovery uh, on the factual issues so that we can be prepared at a final evidentiary hearing to uh, contest some of those factual issues if indeed um, there are facts there that would uh, provide a, a, a good faith basis for making such a contest. Um, what I had asked Mr. Taylor prior to the hearing, uh, knowing that uh, this hearing was going to be continued for, for two weeks regardless of what we do because that was the agreement that was reached between the debtor and uh, the committee was to say this. We have already served discovery requests on Legacy and on UMB Bank. I think they are specific, narrowly tailored requests for documents pertaining to lien priority as well as to the total amount of the mechanics liens that should be fairly easy for them to provide a response to within. Was that, was that discovery request in the context of this removed action or 2004 in the administrative case or where, where did you request that? Uh, in the context of Rule 9014, I think this is now a contested matter since we have filed an objection. 
And I think the rule on uh, dip financing actually says that a motion for dip financing shall be served in the matter as, um, shall be a contested matter governed by Rule 9014. So that's procedurally the context under which we propounded that discovery. Um, and what I asked Mr. Taylor was, uh, can we have, can you provide us the responses to these requests within seven days? Um, it shouldn't be that difficult to do it. It is certainly a truncated time frame. And whether it would be su sufficient to finally resolve the issue of lien priority, I don't know. Um, but I know it would at least provide us something to be able to determine whether um, there, there may be an issue there or whether we, um, you know, or, or whether there's, there's not. The problem is that we don't know um, when work was first done on this property. And that's when mechanics lien holders date their priority from. Um, it's from the date that the first work was, was started and then all the mechanics lien holders, all of the uh, subcontractors, material suppliers, they all, um, their priority all dates back to when work was first commenced. Um, Oakland is the general contractor on the project now. They were not the original general contractor. A company called, uh, I believe it was J.S. Waltz, was the original contractor. Um, we need to know when they first started doing work on this property. We've been provided by, uh, Mr. Taylor provided a, a contract with J.S. Waltz, um, but there's still additional information as to whether they advanced any funds um, prior to the date of that contract, whether any work was commenced prior to the date of that contract. Um, that all bears on this issue of lien priority. And to the extent any work was done before August 10th of 2020, which is 10 days before uh, UMB recorded its deed of trust, that is what would give all the lien holders priority over UMB. So that really is the limited fact issue um, that, uh, that we are trying to discover in the very short amount of time between now and when we have the hearing on this matter. Um, the other thing that I asked uh, was to use a final hearing in two weeks as a status hearing as opposed to a final evidentiary hearing because at that point, uh, we will have had at least some time, if the court were to approve the expedited discovery that we're asking for, we will have had some time to review the responses and to determine what, if any, factual issues remain for the court to decide at an evidentiary hearing, how long we would need and what, uh, what witnesses and, and documents we would need to present to you. Um, I think it's a pretty reasonable ask under the circumstances and, and again, given the extraordinary relief um, that the debtor is asking for in this case, that there be at least some measure of due process and opportunity to take discovery on these um, at least fairly debatable factual issues uh, so that, uh, again, we can prepare, we can provide the court um, with a fully developed record on which it can make its determination whether to approve this financing with a super priority priming lien or not. So that's issue number one. So let's talk about the other issue then. Uh, issue two being, is this money really necessary to, right. to preserve the park? Right. Um, we've, we've said in, it's our position um, that uh, it's not. Um, we don't, I, I think the problem here is that we haven't really had a sufficient amount of time. Um, I was just retained on Friday of last week um, to really delve into that, uh, delve into that issue. Um, the debtors had uh, time to discuss it with its financial advisors. Um, 
I know Mr. Bierman, I respect him uh, a lot, but his opinion on whether keeping the property open uh, for the next, uh, you know, until the property can, can be sold is really in everybody's best interest as opposed to mothballing it. Um, it's not necessarily the only opinion. Um, we do need some time to uh, determine whether it would in fact uh, be in everybody's best interest to keep the park open, continue to burn through through cash. If you look at the debtor's uh, cash collateral budget, I think towards towards the end in July, they're, they're actually looking at burning closer to $2 million uh, a month. Is that really going to benefit creditors um, or would we be better off uh, stopping the, the bleeding, not getting the debtor deeper in, in the hole um, and mothballing the property? So that's an issue that um, I think I'm not sure we would necessarily take any discovery or depositions on that issue, um, but it's an issue we would at least like to have some time um, to consider. Let, let me say it this way. Uh, it resonates to me that UMB is sitting here saying uh, we need this money into the property. Uh, the value of the property is going to uh, suffer if, if we don't stay open, and it's going to suffer in a way that's bigger than uh, the cost to keep it open. And that's true whether UMB is in first position today or whether they're behind all the material men. That strikes me as one way or the other, uh, their rocks would be gored, uh, and they believe that to be the case if they mothball, if the debtor or the, the court has decided that we need to mothball this property until we have a sale. Well, and I, I think that is an important point because it goes to one of the elements um, that the court needs to consider in determining whether to approve the dip financing or not, which is that the money can't be available. In order to approve a super priority lien, uh, the court has to determine that financing isn't available um, on any other basis, uh, unsecured or secured uh, with priority equal to what they had as of the yeah, but that's not what I'm focused on. I'm talking about whether this property is better off or worse off uh, with this money and this amount of money. Well, and, and that's what I was about to get to. If UMB believes that it really is necessary um, to put another $9 million in this property to keep it open because that's what's going to preserve the value of the property when it ultimately gets sold, it does seem like they have an incentive to put that money in regardless of whether they get a uh, super priority priming lien or not. Um, so I'm not sure it is evident um, that this is really the only means uh, under which the debtor can borrow money uh, from UMB, that they will only do it if they are given a priming lien over mechanics lien holders. They have more incentive than anybody uh, in this case to uh, preserve the, the value of, of the property uh, because they have by far the largest claim in this case. And it's going to be paid out of the sale of the property. So I'm essentially hearing you say, call their bluff here, uh, they'll advance the money no matter what, uh, whether it's a priming lien or not. Bring it to the brink. It, it, in part, um, I do think that they that they would, uh, whether you want to characterize that as calling their, their bluff or not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'll leave that to the court. Okay, so at bottom, what do you want me to do today? Uh, what I would like is for you to set a continued hearing in two weeks as a status conference. Um, and in the meantime, um, order that the responses to our discovery, our, uh, discovery request that we served this morning be due in uh, seven days from today. And then we can come back uh, a week later and tell you whether there are any factual issues that still need to be determined or not.
Um, we, we also have, uh, Mr. Taylor mentioned that there are third parties with uh, information, uh, including the original contractor, J.S. Waltz, um, and uh, believe uh, the management company um, and uh, Legacy Sports may have information that's relevant too. I have prepared subpoenas uh, to them. I don't believe there's actually a deadline uh, that there's actually any um, requirement that, that a certain amount of notice be given on those subpoenas, but it was my intention um, to serve them with a seven-day return date as well. Okay. Anything else? Um, no. Thank you, Your Honor. So, Mr. Taylor, um, Mr. Pat's, Pack's ask here is a little bit different than what I thought we were headed for. Uh, number one, he wants the debtor to respond to the written discovery in the seven days. Um, and I guess, first of all, have you seen that discovery? And is this achievable uh, or is it unreasonable in some way? Or should we just tuck this in the adversary proceeding and let it play out there? I haven't had a chance, Your Honor, to fully review that. It was emailed to me actually while I was in court with you earlier this morning. Um, my initial glance was that it's not narrowly tailored. It is discovery that I would expect to see in an adversary proceeding dealing with foreclosure mechanics liens, and it asks for a lot of information on a very rapid schedule. I guess what I'm hearing you say is I can't really answer the question now. Let me sit down and let me talk to Mr. Pack, and maybe we have a discovery dispute that comes to me uh, uh, when you can't resolve it. That, that, uh, again, like I said, I can't, I, I can't really talk to the scope. My initial quick two-minute view, and that's literally how long I took to look at it, was it's broad. Um, so, Your Honor, what I, what I, this is, Mr. Pax asked exactly what I expected him. He wants to do discovery. Um, the status hearing is a different ask. I, I understood that he was going to be prepared to put on whatever case he wanted to put on in two weeks, but apparently that's not the case. Um, there's two things that stood out, Your Honor, in, in Mr. Pack's presentation. First, he said he's not asserting priority at this point. That, to me, kind of is a telling statement. They can't come into this court right now and say they're ahead of the bank. And that, to me, is the fundamental you know, price of entering the door and, and opening this up is saying, I've got the ability to jump the bank. Um, because otherwise, what they're talking about is basically speculation that they might be ahead of the bank, and we should be entitled to engage in this discovery to figure out if we are. The other thing that stood out was, I don't know if we're going to be able to determine these facts in two weeks based on this discovery. That's a problem. Are we going to come back here in two weeks and he's going to ask for another month to conduct discovery and we're going to put off entry of a final dip order that long? Well, we can't do that. I mean, I'll let the bank speak for itself, but we can't be operating under interim orders for weeks or months on end. That's not how this works. Candidly, Your Honor, I think that, you know, the fact that they're asking for one-week returns on, on discovery requests and interrogatories, they're asking for subpoenas on three or four or more third parties with one-week returns. Subpoenas that, by the way, Your Honor, I mean, I haven't seen them, but my guess is that the bank and or the care or CARES may have some objections to those subpoenas. Um, so I would emphasize, Your Honor, what I pointed out earlier. This litigation belongs in the adversary proceeding that's already there. They have preserved their rights. They can challenge the priority. And again, if they win, 
they are going to get first dibs after payment of the dip loan. And candidly, and I'll let the bank speak for itself if it wants to, I don't know why the bank wouldn't insist on a priming lien here. I mean, it's putting money into this, this uh, park in order to keep it open for the benefit of everybody. Sure, they believe they're going to benefit significantly from that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be making the loan. But if Mr. Pack wins his challenge, then that's great for the mechanics lien holders because they've done them a favor by keeping the park open. And they should be glad to pay him $9 million out of the top. So for me, this is just simply not proper discovery or litigation in this context, especially when they have an adversary proceeding that's already there that they can engage in this type of discovery. And in the end of the day, if they win that challenge and they do it through proper procedures and rules of procedure and allow third parties to deal with subpoenas that they want to serve in a proper way, then that's great for them and they're going to benefit from having the park open. And I haven't heard Mr. Pack tell you yet that it's going to be better to mothball the park than not. He can't contradict that. He's not going to be able to. I will have witnesses that can testify to that. He's not going to be able to contradict that. All right. So that, that fact is ultimately going to be determined that we should keep the park open. Well, to do that, we need the borrowing. And they eventually are going to benefit from that borrowing, even if they win on a challenge which, at this point, he doesn't even know if he has basis for making. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Anybody else like to speak up before we make a decision here? Uh, just very briefly. Again, Peter Riggs on behalf of UMB. Um, the, um, my, myself and counsel for the committee were just recently added to this case and were, I think, both furiously trying to get up to speed on the particulars of everything as a result. And that was among the reasons why the bank was uh, willing to consent to loaning an additional million dollars uh, on an interim basis. Uh, I don't know, as I stand here today, if they would be willing to commit additional funds on an interim basis if the court were to continue this to a status in two weeks, because that would, depending on when the final hearing was, that could obligate, you know, an additional, uh, uh, depending on when, when, the, when the date was, that might, that might be an additional seven-figure commitment. I don't have client authority uh, for that commitment at this time. Uh, what I have client authority for is the $2.6 million figure that was discussed earlier. And so I would caution the court not to um, assume that, that, um, that there's a, a limitless amount of funds that the bank is willing to commit on an interim basis. Um, as far as the discovery, I would just again reiterate that I, I believe that discovery is, is appropriately conducted pursuant to the adversary case. Um, I would point out to the court that the mechanics lien litigation was filed in state court in October of 2022, and there's been no discovery conducted to date in that case. And so the exigency here, the exigency here is really, I think, sort of misplaced. Um, that can be, all, all of those issues, as significant as, as they are to the mechanics lien holders, they're also significant to the bank. There's a lot of money at stake here, uh, and we ought, to, we ought to decide those issues after a full discovery process, not on an expedited basis. Thank you. Your Honor, if I could just. Ms. Giamma. I just want to clarify because I'm. <laughs> I want to make sure. Um, so, right now, for the interim order, and that was being circulated before the hearing, um, I'm on board with that there's going to be a super priority lien for the interim order, but it's still open 
to be decided in two weeks when we have the continued hearing on the final, then the court will consider at that point whether or not the super priority lien on the full nine million will apply, correct? That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm, I want to make sure that we're all in agreement about that because I, um, that it wasn't very clear to me. So the one other differential is, I don't know what this interim order is looking like other than what I signed. Right, it's just an interim order. 1.6 versus 2.6. Right. Um, but I, I want to make sure that we still have the opportunity to set forth our argument against the super priority lien at the final hearing. I think that's fair territory. Okay. And, and just for the record, um, oftentimes we see uh, discovery. I know the U.S. trustee to undertakes discovery all the time outside the context of an adversary proceeding. It's fairly regular, as Your Honor knows. Um, so I just wanted to give my two cents on that. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Anybody else? All right. Virtually everybody's on board with the idea of having a two-week continuance here, uh, and I'm going to ask Ms. Bryant to let us know uh, when you're suggesting we have a one-hour slot, and then we'll talk about what happens at that slot. Are you still okay with breaking your mediation? Yes. June 12th at 11. So, Mr. Taylor, we'll start with you. June 12 at 11 o'clock, is that a date that's going to work for the debtor? Unfortunately, it's not. Mr. Berman's going to be out of town that day, so if we could have maybe a day later than that or two days later than that. What's the next day? We can do June 13th at 3. Does that work? Works for the debtor, Your Honor. Anybody have a problem with June 13 at 3 o'clock, one-hour hearing? Okay. So that will be the continued hearing on this matter. Now, the question is, what exactly is this hearing going to be? Um, and it seems to me that we need to have that set as an evidentiary hearing. Uh, at a minimum, what I'm looking for that day is for proof from the debtor and or UMB that this money is necessary, that it's, uh, that it's been shopped, and this is all we have, uh, or at least the best we have uh, as a deal on the table. And I think it's important at that time to explain to me by facts, not by lawyer discussion, that advancing $1 million per month is a better proposition for the value of this property than going dark. Uh, I, I told Mr. Pack that I thought it was uh, important to focus on the fact that UMB, who claims to have the most at stake here, whether they're in first or in a, a uh, position behind the materialman, one way or the other, uh, they would tend to, well, they will be pushed back by a super priority lien position, and yet uh, they're telling me I've got to do this. It's best for the property. It's best uh, for valuation. Uh, but I want testimony to that effect, and I'll leave it to the debtor and UMB and others to uh, tell me what that, uh, well, bring that proof to me if in advance of that hearing, uh, you can persuade Mr. Pack that uh, you, you've got the goods on that issue uh, and he doesn't have anything in, in contravention of that, then maybe it's a stipulated fact. But one way or the other, I'll leave it to the lawyers. Uh, that's something I do want to have resolved at that time. So the remaining issue to decide is what are we going to do about this discovery in the meantime? And uh, it does seem to me that um, that an adversary proceeding that is now on file here, that is the removed litigation. And by the way, Mr. Taylor, I'm understanding that all of the litigation 
re revolving around material men claims against this property, is it in one piece of litigation or are all pieces of litigation already removed? All the pending state court actions were consolidated in a single state court action um, prior to removal. We did not remove all the claims in that action, Your Honor. There are claims that exist, cross claims that exist between uh, subcontractors in Auckland and claims that have been made against the payment bond. So we didn't see how those claims could fit in this court's jurisdiction, so we left those there. Okay. So ordinarily, uh, this kind of claims litigation and priority litigation isn't going to get resolved anytime real soon. I've understood that there has been no discovery whatsoever since this October litigation commenced. Uh, I don't know why we need to uh, suddenly light the fire in an emergency sort of discovery mode. Um, on the other hand, I am not persuaded at this moment anyhow that all that discovery needs to occur in the adversary proceeding and only that removed adversary proceeding. Uh, rather, what I'd like Mr. Taylor to do is to really sit down and digest what it is that Mr. Pack is looking for. Uh, I'd ask that UMB be involved in that discussion and the committee as well. Uh, and then get back to Mr. Pack by Monday's a holiday, so by Tuesday. And uh, I'd like to see the parties resolve the discovery dispute. Uh, under Local Rule 9013-1, that's what's required, a meet and confer. Uh, if you cannot resolve it, um, then I'd like to hear from you before the close of business on Tuesday. Or, excuse me, Wednesday. When am I traveling next week? Um. Sorry, I need to make sure I... I'm going to physically be here. Are you talking about June 7th? Uh, no. Next week is... Oh. Hold on. Let me go to the calendar. You're here that day. 31st. All right, so... Just trying to get the calendar in front of me here. Today's May 25th. Monday is the holiday, the 29th. Uh, we have court the 30th and 31st, so I would say by the close of business on the 31st, if there is a discovery dispute you want me to resolve, uh, contact Ms. Bryant and, and I'll get on the phone pronto. Uh, but I'd like a good explanation as to why it has to happen right then, uh, what exactly is the problem, and uh, give me an opportunity to try to resolve it on the spot rather than have a motion filed by either side. So, Mr. Taylor, that's not by way of saying it's stuck in the adversary proceeding. Do what you need to do there. Uh, I'd like you to really consider whether, it's, let me put it this way, it sounds to me, at least the way Mr. Pack is couching this, that if you provided him information definitively that there was no dirt turned uh, before your um, first lien position is recorded uh, by UMB, that maybe gets him to back down because he's not telling me absolutely he's got a, uh, a break in priority here. He wants to know the facts that help him decide whether to bring that, uh, that move forward. Seem, put a different way, the debtor ought to be somewhat motivated and so should UMB to, to supply some of that information. And if the debtor can't, I'd like to know why. And if the debtor um, 
wants to continue to say, well, it's uh, in the adversary and, and we'll uh, slow go this thing. Well, that, that tells me something probably suggesting that uh, you don't want to turn over the information because it might be harmful. I need to hear all that if you're really going to have a discovery dispute, which I'm hoping we don't, but we may. So, Mr. Taylor, can that be accomplished and, and accomplished before the close of business on Wednesday the 31st? Of course, we'll work on that, Your Honor. One question I have for you is in that proposed serving subpoenas on third parties. I don't know if the court's authorizing that today or not. Nothing's happened yet, right? Nothing's happened yet. I'm not going to do an advisory opinion on something that uh, may or may not happen here. So, Mr. Riggs, well, any problem? Not in an adversary proceeding, and Rule 26 does apply here. Okay. Mr. Pack will have to consider that before he moves, but he hasn't moved yet. Uh, Mr. Riggs, can you two act promptly on this one and, and at least address the discovery issues such that uh, either you can resolve it or you can't, but it can be done uh, and brought to me by Tuesday, excuse me, Wednesday the 31st at the latest? Uh, certainly, Judge. We'll look at it. I, I have not yet read the discovery, but we'll take a close look and be in touch with counsel. Okay. Mr. Pack, any questions about what I'm ordering here today? No, that's all understood. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Does anybody have a question about uh, what the order of the court is? All right. Mr. Taylor, I'd like you to do a very short order uh, confirming what I just said on the record, and uh, I'll sign, sign that when it comes in, and all the other orders that you're looking for me to sign, uh, upload them right away, and I'll get those signed immediately. And with that, we're adjourned. Thank you.